Righty, am I on? Is all working? Great. Good morning, everybody. Today, we are going to spend some time diving into just two beautiful psalms. Today, back by popular demand, I also have a prop. And today, I shall be reading these psalms and using this prop to encourage us all to ponder two questions. Are you ready? If you are, and if you have your Bibles with you, either in the form of the book or in the form of the phone, can I encourage you to join me in heading to Psalms 135 and 136. And Psalm 135 reads, Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in the deeps. He who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in the midst of Egypt sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Shahon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages, for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion. He who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And Psalm 136 reads, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by all understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out, the earth from the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
to him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day for his steadfast love endures forever. You can join me in the second part if you'd like. The moon and stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings for his steadfast love endures forever. Shihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowliest state. For his steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh and for the final time, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for each of your children who created and contributed to the collection of psalms, of songs and poems that we now know as the book of Psalms. And we pray today that in your mercy and in your grace that you would speak to us through them. We ask that your spirit stir us, that it convict us, that it prompt us, and that our hearts will ultimately be reminded of everything that you are and everything that you have done and how worthy you are of our continual praise and gratitude. We invite you today, Father, to speak to us. Amen. There are 150 psalms in the collection that we know and have in our Bibles. And while there are a number of authors, both known and anonymous, each psalm is essentially a poem, or a song, or a prayer, or a mixture of those things. And these poems and songs and prayers were written over hundreds of years and at different points in Israel's history. And it is believed that the collection as we know it was put together sometime after the exile to Babylon. Now, there are different sections and many different styles and patterns across the 150. But broadly, very broadly, there are some key themes across the entire collection. And one of those is to praise. Which in Hebrew means to celebrate to give glory to, to commend, to rave, and to shine. These poems, songs, and prayers 
continually see the author, whoever they are and wherever they are, pouring out their own personal praise to God and calling for fellow believers to also celebrate who we serve, to give God glory through our worship, to commend him, to rave about him through our worship, to boast about his life-changing light. And our two psalms this morning express praise and gratitude, as do so many others, because the authors see and have such a deep understanding of how God is so worthy and deserving of it. The Lord is good, our psalms say. He is great. He is above all. He can do whatever he wants across the heavens and the earth and the seas. He controls the clouds and the lightning, and he brings forth rain. He can bring down plagues and defeat large armies. And the love that our vast, majestic, all-powerful, and all-knowing God is... Steadfast and endures forever. Thank you, Carl. You picked up what I was putting for. Therefore, praise the Lord for who he is, they say. Give thanks to him. And as we spend some time in a teaching series about fixating our eyes on Jesus, as per our vision's fourth focus area for the year, my first question for you today, therefore, is... Is your heart and your mouth continually filled with praise to God? Or to word it in another way, are you frequently pouring out thanks to him for who he is and all that he has done for you? And when thinking about the Psalms and about this continual encouragement to praise God, C.S. Lewis gives the analogy of a picture. He says, what do we mean when we say a picture is admirable? We certainly don't mean that it is admired. That's as it may be for a bad work is admired by thousands and a good work may be ignored. Nor that it deserves admiration in the sense in which a candidate deserves a high mark from the examiners. The sense in which the picture deserves or demands admiration is rather this, that admiration is the correct and adequate response to it. If we do not admire it, we have missed something. Praise is our response to revelation about who God is and what he has done. Admiration expressed through praise is our response to our God and his wonderful work, past, present, and future. And the writers of the Psalms I read this morning, whoever they are, they got this. And they didn't miss anything. They knew who God was and what he had done. And their response to him was to praise. However... I don't know about you, but when thinking about my own answer to this question of whether my heart and my mouth are filled with praise to God, and if I am responding to him in the way that he deserves, the answer to that question challenged me. 
if I am honest with myself and with you all, I could do with some improvement in this area. See, I don't know about you, but as someone who has been walking with the Lord to varying degrees for a while now, the mystery and the wonder and the appreciation for who God is can wear off sometimes. It can become a bit normal. To return to C.S. Lewis's picture analogy, it's like we have seen the picture so many times that the novelty of it just wears off. Sure, we know it's great and it's special, but our time in front of the picture simply admiring it dwindles. Our personal appreciation fades, and potentially we become a bit more like a tour guide, excited to see new people marvel at the picture for the first time, but rather preoccupied ourselves with what is going on on our phones, or what our friend is doing, or what we need to do when we get home. But no, 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 the psalmists urge. Praise the Lord. Give thanks. Reflect on who he is, like our Psalm 135 shows us, and respond with praise. Reflect on what he has done for you, as our Psalm 136 showed us, and respond with praise. What's more, other Psalms encourage us to reflect on who he is and what he has done, and respond with praise at all times. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, says Psalm 59. Every day, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever, says Psalm 145. Coming before him and praising him is not a position that should wear off or an action that we should set aside for Sundays at 10 a.m. for four songs. It is a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute response to the mighty God whom we are so blessed to have had pursue and save us and whose love for us is steadfast and endures forever. Fixating on him, reflecting on him, celebrating him, giving glory to him, boasting about him, should never fade away from our lives, from the lives of those who claim to know him. So, picking up, on the analogy that C.S. Lewis has given us. It is now time to introduce the props. Brace yourselves. Two chairs, you all think. That's not very exciting. Don't worry, there's more. Are you interested? One of the things that strikes me and that I appreciate 
about the writer of Psalm 136. Whoever he was and wherever he was, he encourages his readers to give thanks to God even though he has only seen some of the picture. That is humanity's history and God's glory revealed. The picture that our psalmist said was worthy of praise, admiration, and response looked like this. He references creation and how God is worthy of thanks because he made the heavens. He spread out the earth from the waters and made day, the sun, and the stars. He references the plagues of Egypt and how God saves his people by dividing the Red Sea in two and how he then delivers them from the hand of the cruel kings. His steadfast love endures forever, it is declared. He is worthy of praise and gratitude as a result. And he is. It's like the psalmists are saying, that, that picture is worthy of response and admiration. If that's all we got to see, we should respond to that. This work alone demonstrates his power and how the whole world is in his hands and therefore how worthy of our response and celebration he is. And yet, we are privileged to stand on the side of history where we know that there is even more added to the picture as time goes on, and therefore even more reason to respond in eternal praise. We know that the painting continues to emerge, that more reason for celebration comes. In Leviticus, God's holiness and perfection is emphasized, and we learn about the Day of Atonement and how on this day all of Israel would be atoned by the blood of an animal which sets us up for the atonement of Jesus, and us through Jesus, atonement of us through Jesus. In Numbers, as well as conquering Shahon that the palmist mentions, we see God pouring water out of rocks and donkeys being made to talk. In Deuteronomy, Moses reflects on God's continued miracles and mercy to the Israelites that he saw, saved, and provided for, despite their continued moaning. In Joshua, we see the rivers of the Jordan split so that people could walk into God's promised land and the walls of Jericho falling down. In Judges, we see God miraculously confuse the Midianites to the degree that they all kill each other when trumpets are blown. In Ruth, we learn of the humble lineage that he chooses for the Messiah who will come to redeem all. In 1 Samuel, we see the Ark of the Covenant being taken away by the Philistines who then put the Ark of the Covenant in the house of their god Dagon and they come the next morning and they find that their god Dagon has fallen onto the floor and is head down on the floor at the Ark of the Covenant before it. It's a great story, read it. In 2 Samuel, David declares, Therefore you are great, O Lord, for there is none like you, and there is no other God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. In 1 Kings, we see the fire of the Lord come and consume the offering of Elijah on Mount Carmel in front of hundreds of prophets who had been calling on their gods all day to see the same thing and had seen nothing. 
And two kings, chariots and horses of fire, come and take Elijah up in a whirlwind to heaven. In the Chronicles, God's faithfulness towards his people is revealed over and over again. In Esther, we see how he positions and uses his children. In Job, God reminds Job that he laid the foundations of the earth that he made clouds their garments, that he sent forth lightning, that he binds the chains of Pallades, and yet he still knows when a mountain goat gives birth, and he still sees us. In the other Psalms, he is described as our rock and our fortress, our shepherd, our refuge, our stronghold and our deliverer. In Ecclesiastes, the author shares that a life without knowledge and relationship with God is like toiling under the sun, only to return to dust, meaningless, the author says, in Songs of Solomon, the love between a man and a woman is used to draw parallels to the depths of God's praise for, his, for us and his church. In Daniel, we learn that he saves his servants from furnaces and hungry lions and that he can show up at events and write on the walls. And then throughout the prophets, we hear of God's faithfulness to the nations, despite their continual desire to live lives away from him. We also see more of the picture forming as references are made of someone who will come and atone the sins for all. And then in the Gospels, he arrives. He leaves heaven to arrive on this earth that he created and controls to be our redeemer and our savior. A virgin conceives, an angel appeals, appears to the earthly dad. The birth fulfills prophecy by happening in Bethlehem and the family and line of David. And during his ministry, Jesus turns water to wine. He casts out demons. He calms storms. He heals people of their diseases. He makes the paralytics walk. He makes the death hear again. He raises up the dead. He makes five loaves feed 5,000. He walks walks on the water. He washes people's feet. He calls himself the light of the world and says that his body will be broken for us and his blood is poured out, which it is. He endures betrayal and whipping and mocking and crucifixion. And out of his great and steadfast love for us, to pay our debt now and forever and return to us the opportunity to be with him. And then he raises from the dead. In Acts, we see his gift of the Holy Spirit given. In Romans, it talks about how we are no longer slaves to sin, but have been set free. In Ephesians, we learn that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, that we have been made alive and adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, not because of anything we have done, but because of what he has done. In Philemon, we learn of his undeserved grace. In Hebrews, our new covenant is outlined, which redeems us from the sins we committed under the first one. In James, we are affirmed in the truth that everything we have is from him. And in Revelation, we learn that Jesus, I know I missed a few books. In Revelation, we learn that Jesus is the only one who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Revelation 5.11 says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying in a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen. And then the elders fell down and worshiped. 
They fell down in worship. They cried out worthy. They praised. And as we and as people who have encountered the same God and who now see the whole picture. It's people who know the whole picture. To save humanity, we are called to fall down and worship and praise as well. Now, I didn't have an existing picture of a lamb, but we do know that both the lion and the lamb imagery are used to describe Jesus. He is the perfect lamb that was sacrificed as an offering, and he is the almighty lion who conquered death and rose again. He is worthy of a response of praise. He is worthy of our worship and us falling on our knees in gratitude because his love endures forever. And we now know, we now know, the psalmist did it, but we now know that he has saved us. And as you reflect not just on all of these things of what God has done through the Bible, but in your life since you first met him, What is your response? To return to my first question, in your everyday life, is your heart and your mouth filled with praise? No matter what is going on in our lives, these two psalms and pieces of poetry and so many other of the 148 pieces, and actually, you want to know what? The entire Bible, point us to continually reflect on God's goodness and his love and praise him. No matter what is going on in our lives, he is still worthy because of what he has already done. He deserves celebration and glory and gratitude from us always. So when we drive or we walk past something beautiful, We should pour out our praise and celebrate his hand in creation. When we read the Bible and have historic moments of God's awesomeness being revealed, of which I only listed some, we should be filled with and express awe at the God that we serve. When we see his hand working in the lives of ourselves and in our friends and in our family and in our ministries, we should celebrate his work. When we realize for ourselves that his steadfast love endures forever and receive revelation of Christ and what he has done for us as his children, we should be on our knees. Arms outstretched, pouring out praise and adoration. And when we come together as a group of people, the majority of whom claim to have received revelation of Christ, when we come together, our praise as a collective should be loud and proud. They should be able to hear it for blocks. And it is on this thought of the collective worship which bridges into my next question. And that is, are you entering in on a Sunday morning? And by that, I don't mean, are you entering into the church? Because evidently you've all done that. What I mean is, are you entering in with a heart ready to praise? 
Hopefully we'll be picking up from this talk so far that praise should be pouring out from our hearts and our mouths all the time, in the morning, in the evening, at work, in our family times, in our alone times, everywhere and every day. Our continual response is a way of life. But I'm now bridging into talking about Sunday mornings specifically, as this represents a special time when we intentionally gather together to collectively respond to him. Now, as an eldership, we meet once a year uh, to intentionally discuss the year that has been and where we feel like God is telling us to head going forward. And this conversation consequently shapes the vision and the budget for the coming year. Now, last year in August, it was my first one. And it was super wild. It was online during lockdown. But the five of us met online, and for several hours, we just talked, not just about our church specifically, but about the church nationally and internationally as well. And one of the things that we shared with one another was our growing fear about this dangerous swelling that we sensed of consumeristic church whereby Sunday services everywhere become more and more positioned and treated like products by those who come. And what I mean by this is that our attitude to church becomes about us, and us getting out of it what we want, as opposed to it being about praising and responding to him. And one of the teachers that I have really enjoyed listening to and um, learning from this year, he posed this thought on Instagram if you I'm going to chuck that slide up. He says, worship does not begin with us. It does not end with us. So the question after the service is not, what did I get out of this? The question after the, the service of worship is, did I enter in? Did I enter into the mystery? Did I enter into the worship that never ends? Did I enter into the change that is taking place in the heavenly worship? Did my heart cry worthy? Did my heart cry worthy? And when I read that, church, I was very convicted. I have historically subscribed to that thought pattern of thinking those things and thinking, what did I get out of this? My rating of church... Uh, on a Sunday was based on whether I thought the speaker had spoken in a way that I agreed with, and if the worship team had played some of my favorite songs, well, then that made for a good service. <laughs> but my praise was conditional on my enjoyment and approval of how things were happening. Now, I am not saying that Bible-focused teaching isn't important, because it is. You may know that I am passionate about it. And I'm not saying that having favorite songs that provide words to the cries of our hearts is wrong either. But what I am saying is that our focus shouldn't be on whether those things happen or not. And our response to God shouldn't be dependent on those things occurring. Our focus should be on the reason that we gathered and meet in the first place. And that is 
to gaze at Jesus hanging on that cross for us and to give God our praise and adoration for everything that we have. See, the devil knows that when we praise as individuals and as groups of believers, that it is dangerous for his kingdom. He hates to see God's victory over him praised and celebrated. He hates it. He hates to see God given glory in our praises. He also knows that when we praise and worship and celebrate and reflect on our king, that it builds faith and that it reminds us of who we are and whose we are. He knows simply that when we praise, stuff happens that he doesn't want to. And my personal opinion is, is that the devil hates Sundays. He hates to see us encouraged by the God that we serve, and he hates it when we position ourselves at God's feet in worship. And I believe that in his cunning nature, he is sowing seeds for a consumeristic church and for a culture whereby our worship and our praise is conditional on the surroundings and the environment being to our taste. To return to our painting analogy, it's like we enter the room with the painting, but our eyes and hearts don't focus on the painting itself, but on everything but. We might have wandered in from the car park, tired and drowsy from our Saturday night festivities, but coming out of a sense of routine. We might enter and see that the frame isn't what we would pick and we fixate on how that bothers us. The room may not be laid out how we like. There may be people there that bug us. I refer you to my sermon in July. <laughs> there might be noises that distract you as you try to focus, or someone might even be sitting in your spot. <laughs> the audacity of it. All of these things, all of these things, distract us, and they're supposed to. To take our gaze away from the very painting and the very reason we came in the first place. We lose sight of the glorious scene before us. We lose sight of the fact that God spoke and land rose from the seas and that he splits the seas. We lose sight of the fact that he left heaven to come to this world he created to endure a painful death so that we may have life. We lose sight of the fact that every breath and everything we have is because of him, and his love for us is steadfast and endures forever. And the reality is that if we intentionally choose to enter in every Sunday with our hearts absolutely determined, that no matter what else is going on, that we are going to praise and celebrate, then nothing will stop us from doing so. I loved how when John Ferguson was here, um, he said in one of his sessions, I couldn't remember what one, that he wasn't much of a fan of the music at life, the church where he's planted. But he said he didn't care because that wasn't why he was there. And it didn't stop him from enjoying God. The right songs being played wasn't a condition of his worship. And it shouldn't be for us either. Now the worship team here are smashing. Honestly. If you've been coming here for a long time and this is all you know, you may not realize it. But we are so blessed. 
with the team and the talent that we have here. I've been to a few other churches um, over the last couple of months doing Hagar talks. We are so blessed. We are. They do such a good job of creating a space for us to choose to enter in. But they can't enter in for us. And I've been trying to start getting my head and my heart in the zone and getting ready to enter in on the car ride on the way here on Sundays. Sometimes I forget, sometimes I don't. But I'm on the journey and just saying, I want to enter in. I want to enter in, Lord. I want to praise you. It doesn't matter what's going on. I'm there to praise. I'm there to meet you. And I invite you to join me in that. And intentionally entering in. Will you choose to enter in a a fresh and to respond to God in praise, even if your fave song doesn't play, or even if your favorite worship leader isn't leading, will you choose to enter in and respond to God, even if the speaker isn't your fave, or if they are speaking about something you find boring? None of you feel that way today, of course. <laughs> but will you choose to enter in? Even if your seat is taken, will you choose to enter in? Will your heart cry worthy? Will it pour out praise irrespective of what else is going on? If we beeline to where we need to be and we prepare to reflect on the glory before us, nothing can stop our response. Our heart will cry worthy regardless due to the simple fact that he is utterly worthy. And when we position ourselves before him, we can't help but respond every time. Now, I estimate that I have been to approximately 1,400 Sunday services in my lifetime so far. Some of you will have been to many more than that. Some of you have probably been to less. But no matter how many you've been to, God has not changed. He is as worthy of praise now and every Sunday going forward as he was when the psalmists wrote about him and when we first met him. Our routines should never cloud or water him or what he has done down, if Ben want to come up. Now, I want to finish today by reading the last five psalms of the collection. Covering hundreds of years in wilderness seasons, battles, victories, failures in the exile, the collection finishes with five poems of praise. Essentially, These five psalms and their position express the fact that all that remains is to praise. Each of these poems starts with praise the Lord and ends with praise the Lord. And if you are willing and able, and if you want to, can I just encourage you to stand while I read them, uh, to reach out your arms and to turn these songs this morning into praise of your own with our remaining time on this Sunday. 
And for every Sunday going forward, can I encourage you to intentionally choose to enter in, to intentionally cast your eyes on God and choose to praise him, to intentionally respond. Psalm 146 goes, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. I will put not my trust in princes, in the Son of Man, whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the Lord, is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Psalm 147 reads, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives the beasts their food and the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise our God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like our ashes. He hunts down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and he melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know he rules. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the highest. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let him praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. For he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all 
the deeps, fire and hail and snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of all the earth and all peoples, princes and rulers of the earth, young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written, to honor the godly ones. Praise the Lord. And finally, praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and heart. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with a loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise to 